Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, it's Hour 2 of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. If you're just joining us and you missed Hour 1, you should definitely go back and listen to it as a podcast. You can do that on the Faith Radio app. You say to yourself, I don't have the Faith Radio app. Guess what? You can just text the word app, A-P-P, to 877-933-2484 and download the free Faith Radio app. Never miss an episode of Mornings with Carmen. I could go with you anywhere. Just think about that. You could say to yourself, you know what? I need a little companion for the ride today. You could take me with you. I like to go places. All right, let's uh, let's briefly go here to France. Do you remember when the, the Notre Dame caught fire? Do you remember the horrible, horrible images of Notre Dame being on fire? Do you, do you recall that? It was dramatic. Dramatic images, um, devastating devastating fire. Well, uh, they're rebuilding it. Obviously, you know that, but you also remember that they could only rebuild it with, um, with supplies that, well, dated back to the kinds of things it was built with in the 13th century, right? So where are you going to find those, that quality of oak lumber to, let's say, rebuild the trusses of the roof? So, the Notre Dame Cathedral had these had this ribbed roof and these these oak beams that um, were used in that ribbed roof. Some of them literally dated back to the 13th century. So there is a forest from which they could um, harvest this kind and quality of wood. I'm thinking here about when the Bible talks about the cedars of Lebanon, you know, like right being brought down the river in order that they can put a, um, uh, put a roof in the temple, like those kinds of things. So that's what's going on. And I want you to bring that image forward as you think about um, what is happening right now as, uh, the, as the river outside of Notre Dame is looks like a traffic jam right now. Looks like a like a barge traffic jam, um, because these barges are uh, are carrying these uh, these trusses, these enormous trusses um, that are now being hoisted by a huge crane into place. Um, crowds are crowds of tourists are standing around uh, as these wooden trusses each weighing seven tons. Each truss weighs seven tons. And, uh, and these hundreds of trusses will be um, put, into, uh, put into place. And that will then form um, the, the structure on which then these ribs will be attached. It's literally like, like rebuilding a body. It's just incredible. Um, and if you haven't, um, you know, if you haven't given thanks to God recently for first responders and firefighters. There's an article in the New York Times about just how close 
uh, Notre Dame came to collapse and, um, and how it was saved. And firefighters risked it all. They were, they stayed in places and under circumstances longer than they quote unquote should have because they did not want to see this great cathedral collapse to the ground. And so I want you to um, be mindful today of the church and the enduring nature of it and the importance of it in, um, in our communities today and over the course of human history. Psalm 127 verse one reminds us, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards will stand watch in vain. It, it matters where you build. It matters what you build on. We know that from Jesus's teaching about the parable of the two builders. And so I will ask today, you know, where are you building your life? Are you building it on the solid rock of Jesus Christ? It matters what you build with. How are you building your life in Christ? And it also matters, um, again, circling back around to our conversation about the church. Jesus is building his church. Jesus is building his church. Um, and, and you're a part of that. You're a member of that. Peter says, um, come to him who is the living stone. Yes, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. You also are living stones built together as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. My friend, you matter. As this beautiful cathedral is rebuilt and we ooh and we awe and we, and we stand in gratitude for the perseverance of the church over generations, you're a part of that today. Jesus wants to build you into the spiritual house, the priesthood of all believers. Would you let him do that today as he builds his church, the one against which um, the gates of hell will not prevail? It's one thing to build your personal life on the firm foundation of Jesus. I absolutely commend that to you. It's another thing to know how to do that. So you might be saying to yourself, I don't really know how to do that. I don't know how to build my life in Christ. We've been examining 10 pillars of our faith with Dr. Matthew Sleeth, and today we arrive at pillar number eight. What does it mean to look on God? It matters, little eyes, what you see. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Matthew Sleeth is joining us again today. He is a former emergency room physician, chief of the medical staff. He resigned from his position in order to teach and preach and write about the things of the faith and to spur us on in our walk of faith in the world that God so loves. Um, uh, if you haven't read Reforesting Faith, it is one of my favorite of Dr. Sleeth's books. He is the dire- uh, executive director of Blessed Earth. He is the author of a a lot of articles and books. You can find him at MatthewSleethMD.org. Matthew, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. 
Good morning, Carmen. It's wonderful to be with you on this beautiful day. <clears throat> it's wonderful, wonderful to talk with you again as well. So the 10 pillars of our faith, uh, this is an ongoing conversation that you and I are having over the course of months. We're talking about these habits or disciplines or qualities that you have lived and learned from scripture and now are passing along um, to us. And we arrive today at look on God. So when you say that I need this pillar of faith in my life of looking on God, what, uh, what are we talking about? Well, I'm going to go to scripture here to, to begin this conversation. I'm going to go to uh, Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. Uh, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And let me let me interpret that, if if you will. Um, it's saying that what we look on is is what fills our our soul, um, our body, and um, if we're looking on things that are light, and light in Scripture is always a metaphor for truth, justice, God. Of course, Jesus was the light that came into the world. And so um, what what the Scripture is urging us to do here is to keep our focus on things that are beautiful, edifying, true, um, <clears throat> and uh Today, uh, in our in our world, we have so many things that we can cast our gaze on, which are the exact opposite. Um, we we can um, you know pick up our phone and and just look at um, terrible things happening around the world. Now, by the way, let me be clear: I'm not telling um, uh, listeners, I'm not telling Christians that we should bury our head in the sand and not know what's going on in the world, um, but we. But we have to have a focus um, that is primarily of God. And by the way, I love the conversation about 4,500 people getting baptized at one time. I personally would have loved to have seen that. Right. I, I love the conversation about rebuilding the church and using that physical um, uh, uh, structure as a metaphor for the church uh, 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 triumphant and over time and that sort of thing. And so... Frankly, Carmen, the conversations that you have with people are really all about looking on the light. Um, I, we probably ought to be asking you about this because uh, it seems to me that that is what you're doing here um, with uh, listeners all over the world uh, over and over again, is you're trying to recast our uh, focus on what is good and pure Um so that's the definition of what I'm talking about when I say look on God. I I confess that I thought about you when I was reading about the the reconstruction of uh, you know, of this portion of Notre Dame where they had to find these century old oaks in order to rebuild um, this cathedral. And I was, I mean, you know, because of reforesting faith and because I've learned so much from you about uh, trees in the Bible and trees in the world today, um, I, uh, I I thought about you and um, I, I think you would have enjoyed being with this group of uh, of people who back in May of 2021, they felled the trees um, in this uh, historic forest, this 
um, once royal forest where obviously centuries ago, people intentionally planted trees that they could have never known would be used in 2023 to reconstruct the roof um, uh, you know, and the, and the physical portions of the Notre Dame Cathedral. Um, what we plant today in our lives, what we allow into our eyes today, we don't really know what that's going to grow into. We, we, we don't. And that's where we go in faith. And, um, and we, we, we keep our eye on this work of God. Um, you know, there's a similar story uh, to one of the great uh, uh, dining halls at Oxford needing to be rebuilt. And they went and they found 500-year-old oaks that had been planted for that purpose um, when the, the roof of that needed to be built. And, and so when we, uh, of course, I believe the most important seed that we can plant is is the seed of the gospel and i'm just so excited thinking about those 4500 new uh brand new christians um and all but also um, we have to tend those seeds and and i love what you were saying about gee they need to be discipled they need to um they need to get into scripture they need to have people help them un- understand that um one of the one of the sections of the Bible when I'm discussing this that I always go to is Paul talking to the Philippians about what they should be casting their eye on um, because we we cast our eye on something and then we think about it and we meditate on it and Paul in uh, Philippians four eight is very well-known section of scripture for a good reason um says finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there's any excellence if there's anything worthy of place think about these things um and and that's uh, all those things should be parameters for what we're casting our vision on and i think we have to take uh, some some actually uh, some pretty concrete steps to do this one of the hey, things that's changed Matthew, the most Matthew, oh i'm sorry you need to break no, no, here that's good we got we got to squish in a little break here but let's okay, get to those practical yeah, we'll come back to this <laughs> yeah let's come back to those very practical suggestions in just a moment we're talking with dr matthew sleeth you can find him and resources related to what we're talking about at MatthewSleethMD.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Our brother Matthew Sleeth is here. Uh, he and his wife Nancy, the real deal, raising generations of Christians serving around the world um, to not only advance the gospel, but to serve the healthcare needs of people in places like Africa. Uh, Matthew, uh, thank you again so much for being with us today. You just reminded us of Philippians 4, verse 8, and you were about to help us make that really practical in terms of, uh, in terms of living it out. 
So yes, my practical example. Now this is for me. It I'm not. This isn't prescriptive for everyone. But uh, I realized when I became a Christian uh, in my mid 40s uh, that a television I wasn't seeing what was good on there. Now I know you can see good things on television, but to me the overwhelming. Uh, offerings were negative and so we disconnected television and i haven't had it uh since then i don't think everybody's got to do that but for me i wanted my gaze to be going in a, in a different direction and i think each person could probably think about what is that thing that's really not focusing me on god what is the quote entertainment um that can be so seductive uh that uh causes us to to gaze and think in a way that's not biblical, scriptural, or like Christ. And so for me, that was a very, very practical thing um, that I just disconnected from that. Used to love to listen to uh, stand-up comedians, and I had to find um, a way to uh, listen to that, um, uh, that that they weren't swearing in every sentence mm-hmm. and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And there's a few of those around. So I think we have to be really intentional and actually in in the book i wrote hope always there's a practical section about what kind of books to look at and with specific uh examples movies etc and and folks don't have to buy the book to get that they can go on blessedearth.org and and look up hope always and all that stuff's on there for free they can just um lead it and there's some some great suggestions i'm i'm i, I like to read just for entertainment and right at the moment I'm reading about a character, Ephraim Tut, who was fabulously uh, um, popular in this country about a hundred years ago. It's an attorney, um, and uh, the the author was a uh, assistant state's attorney of, of Massachusetts, I believe. But there's so much scripture and Christian thinking in there, and and I bought 38 of these. Uh, 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 fiction works for 99 cents on a Kindle. So often the very best things are free or or next to nothing, but we have to be intentional about it. And I think that's what Christ is really telling us there in, in Matthew 6 that I read. All right. There is a 37-page free toolkit that I commend to you. You're going to go to blessedearth.org. You're going to remind yourself about hope always, which is how to be a force for life in a culture of suicide. Um, And if you scroll down the page, you're going to click on the free toolkit. And that's where, um, where Matthew has aggregated for us so many of these good things, things that are good and beautiful and true, um, and that will be uh, encouraging to you and lift you up and build you up in the things of the faith, literally help you focus on uh, that which is true and noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy in order that you can be um, helped in thinking about these things as you grow in, uh, grow in grace and grow in faith. Matthew, as always, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to the next pillar of faith the next time we talk. Uh, Thank you so much for letting me join you. God bless you and your work. Absolutely. We just love it. All right. That's Dr. Matthew Sleeth. Um, Again, blessedearth.org for those free resources and that free toolkit in in coming alongside you in upbuilding your faith today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, um, and we'll be right back. Have you heard of Trank? 
We've talked about it a couple of times, but you might have missed those conversations. Trank is a cattle tranquilizer. It's being mixed by dealers into existing street drug supplies across America. About a year ago, um, we started talking about it specifically in the city of Philadelphia. It has now been detected in all but two U.S. states and maybe by this morning in those two as well. So um, people don't set out to become addicts. People don't set out to um, become zombies on, uh, you know, on, on the street corner. That is not how this begins. Um, uh, I'm thinking here of Christopher, who was a semi-pro athlete, and he became addicted to painkillers following an injury. And that level of addiction was not addressed. And so he turned from the prescription opioids once they ran out to buying opioids on the street. And over the course of time, those are now laced with Trank. And so, you know, Chris is now a zombie. I mean, essentially, there's not a better word for it. Um, and he is sitting on a curb in Philadelphia um, in many ways, unable to move because of the trank in his system. So what is the hope for a person like Chris? Well, the hope is an utterly transformed life. But the road to hope requires understanding. It also requires a lot of outside assistance. So how do we become those people? How do we become people who understand addiction? And how do we become people who um, bring hope to those who are caught in addiction's grip. My conversation with Andy Partington is next. We have copies of Hope in Addiction to give away today. To enter the drawing for those copies, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. There is hope in addiction. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Andy Partington is joining us today. The book is Hope in Addiction, Understanding and Helping Those Caught in Its Grip. Andy, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. It's great to be here. Oh, it's so wonderful to have you. So um, first of all, you the stories that you tell um, and the characters who we meet in the book are just magnificent. So thank you for telling a story about the importance of storytelling, which we'll get to in just a moment. This is a powerful look at the gospel. It's also a powerful window into people who are living in the midst of addiction. And so I think it would be great if, because stories, I mean, I think are really the heartbeat of the book. Um, Let's start right there. Can you tell us a story about Roe Church in LA and the people who live there? Absolutely. Yeah, Roe Church. I I visited Roe Church uh, in the weeks before the pandemic hit. And uh, it's a church uh, led by a, a pastor who has a former life as a, as a rapper. Uh, he's a community organizer as well. And they meet on the streets of Skid Row, right in the thick of, of all this happening there. And really what, what they're doing is, is, is being salt and light in a decaying place, in, in, in what we know to be a dark place. And, and really taking the church and taking the gospel into the heart of this this realm of of, of addiction, where where untreated me- mental illness is 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 rife, and and people really are looking for hope at the at the bottom of the barrel. So I have to confess to you, I 
maybe didn't know that Skid Row was a real place. Skid Row is something that is a cultural reference point for me, but I didn't know. So I looked it up and, you know, yeah, we're talking about 50 square blocks in East L.A. Central City East uh, would be another way that it's known. And it is a place where the least of these live. Tell us about somebody you met there. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a real place. Um, one of the one of the most striking encounters for me there was with a guy called Charles. Um, I was just stood on a corner watching things happening. I was observing. I was trying to make sense. And uh, this guy came over to me, kind of serious looking, bit of a smile on his face, but I knew he meant business. And um, and he said, "Look, you're uh, you're making people nervous." <laughs> well, I'm like, wait a second. I'm just this like English dude stood here, but evidently the issue was that I just didn't fit, and I'd been standing there a long time, and people thought I was law enforcement or undercover or I don't know what. So yeah, sure enough, we had a kind of bit of back and forth, and I, I asked his name, and, and we chatted a bit. But it was clear to me at that point that it was time for me to find a, a new location to to really yeah stand and and try to make sense of of this place where, like you say, the least and the last and the lost gather uh, in search of something. We're talking with Andy Partington. The book is Hope in Addiction. Why why does Skid Row or a place like Skid Row exist, and why is it growing? There's there's two things. Um, we we tend to focus, and there's there's sense to this. We tend to focus on the supply side. We we focus on drugs, and we we focus on alcohol on on the internet. We we focus on the supply tap that feeds our addictions, and rightly so. But I think as you look at today's world. Um, we need to shift our focus at least as much, if not more so, to the demand side. So why does a place like Skid Row exist? Why does addiction exist in such depth in, in the rural heartlands, in the suburbs as well? Well, the reality is, is because there's this immense demand that we have as a, as a society for the kinds of experiences that we get uh, and we find at the heart of addictions. So... There's a, there's a Scottish proverb. Uh, it says this. It says, they speak of my drinking, but never my thirst. Mm. And as a society, I think what we've done is, is just that. We've spoken of the drink. We've spoken of the, the porn. We've spoken of the gambling. What we've not given the attention to is to say, why are we so thirsty for this stuff? What, what is it within us that, that creates the hunger? I'm going to let you answer that question. I mean, that is, <laughs> I, will, I, I mean, I mean like, right, to give you a moment to, to, break to, to in, breathe. Yeah. yeah. So I'm actually taking notes. I'm frantically taking notes as well. I, yeah. I, what, why is it? Why are we so thirsty and hungry for things that are addictive and so destructive? So as individual stories are individual stories. And, and in what I say, I, I, I don't want to be perceived to be, explaining individual stories. But as you step back at society at large, I think there's four key things that we see um, that, that drive, not just in the US, but all around the world, drive addiction. They're the seedbed for addiction. One is despair. I think increasing numbers of people feel hopeless about their future. They feel hopeless about the world and where, and where their life is going within that world. 
emptiness is is this second feature. As you talk to people in addiction and you talk to people reflecting on their addictions, they speak of this hole that they were trying to fill and, and which, of course, goes with them into life in recovery, too. The third one is adversity. There's a, there's an immense correlation between adverse child ex- childhood experiences and adult addiction. And of course, we're talking there about the severe things that come to mind, the abuse. But we're also talking about a broader sense of neglect. We're talking about growing up in a home where there's addiction, a home where you experience divorce. And, and these things make us vulnerable to addiction. The fourth one is 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 being kind of talked about a lot, which is a growing sense of disconnection. That that mm-hmm. we we live increasingly isolated lives. That the number of us who have close friendships is going down. The number of us who drive miles to work, who live states and states away from family, is increasing. And so, the industrial revolution and then layered on top the internet revolution have put us in this place where we're we're lonely and and actually. Mm-hmm. Addiction and addictive behaviors give us a sense of relationship, a sense of belonging in very human terms as well. We're talking with Andy Partington. We're talking about hope in addiction. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll return to this conversation in just a moment. Um, We're going to talk about recovery um, and we're going to talk about the role of stories and hope and desire and what the church um, is called to be and do in the midst of all of this. I think ultimately it comes down to a really big question. Do any of us really want the churches of which we are a part to become the church that the world needs in the age of addiction? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. A hundred and fifty million people, a hundred and fifty million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. Continuing our conversation now with Andy Partington. The book is Hope in Addiction. Andy, let's get into recovery. Recovery is the world that you are familiar with. You describe yourself as even having grown grown up in rehab. What do you know about recovery? And what are some things that you know about recovery that the rest of us need to know in terms of how it needs to be offered and happening differently? The first is that, is, is that it's possible. And uh, I think it's an important message to, to stay focused on. Gro- growing up in a rehab, um, I think that was that was pro- probably the biggest impact was, was realizing I, I met guys in early recovery and then, and then realized there was a backstory, which was addiction. Addictions, uh, 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 recovery from addiction is, is absolutely possible. What's key to getting there are, are two things. The first one is is hope. And by hope, I'm, I'm not talking about uh, a sort of broad, vague sense of, of positivity. I'm talking about a really well-founded sense that things can change 
mm-hmm. and a desire to get there. And, and that's crucial. Um, my friend Hussein, um, very difficult childhood, father in prison, lots of cross-cultural challenges. He, he describes this moment where things clicked for him. And it was both this realization that things could be different and this looking around him and seeing people who were there to help make that happen. And he said, I felt hope for the first time. So hope is central. And then that really pings on to the next bit, which is community. Uh, the, the, there's a phrase they, they use in the recovery world, which is no one can do it for you, but you can't do it alone. Mm. No one can do it for you, but you can't do it alone. And, and really, those who recover, and as we think about recovery as the church, community is central to this. Those relationships of support, of, of professional level relationships, it might be relationships in a rehab or a sober house or a, a celebrate recovery meeting or a 12-step meeting. Whatever it is, those relationships are absolutely central to this process of, 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 of walking away from a, a lifestyle of addiction. You have a lot of experience with that. I'd love for you to tell us, and if I mispronounce it, forgive me, I'm going to say Novo Communities. Could you tell us about those? Yeah, Novo Communities is uh, an organization whose mission is to come alongside those who've got a, a God-given call to start a, a transformational community, a, a residential setting for those who've gone deep into addiction. Um, and what we do is we come alongside people in the developing world with training, with mentoring, with our program, really to equip people to be able to effectively deliver long-term um, sustainable care to people in addiction. So in Bolivia, we we have, uh, it's really where we piloted things. We have a residential center down there run by a, a local team, led by a local team. And now I'm in Central America and really as an organization, our focus is on saying, okay, where else can we come alongside people who are, who are needing this kind of help and, and encouragement? So I have been reading up recently on um, how social enterprise can be a model of ministry funding going forward. And so imagine mm. how delighted I was to discover there's a social enterprise um, that is in part funding this ministry. Can you can you introduce people who've never heard of sort of this approach of ministry funding? What, what is social enterprise and what's the social enterprise that's helping to fund Novo Communities? So social enterprise is using income generating businesses um, to generate income to create a really solid base financially for ministry and for for NGOs. Um, Novo Adventures is a motorcycle tour business that runs alongside Novo communities in Bolivia. And we offer tours to to international tourists who come down. uh, They spend a week, 10 days, 14 days exploring Bolivia with us on motorcycles um, Bolivia is just this incredible country for adventure motorcycling. It's It's got the largest salt flats in the world. It's got what was once the most dangerous road in the world, which is sounds worse than it is. It's a wonderful experience. Um, but yeah, so, we, so we, we, we set up that business with the goal of, of providing a sustainable, dependable source of, of finance for, for the ministry. And of course, it's been a wonderful way to meet people who care about this work and who then actually come alongside and say, hey, I want to support this charitably as well. And I want to sow seeds on a monthly basis, personally, into, into this work. 
Yeah, it's really, um, it's very, very cool. Um, if you're listening right now, we're talking with Andy Partington. The book is Hope in Addiction. We do have copies to give away. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. You can also check out what is happening at Novo Communities and Novo Adventures. Um, you can get there through Novo, N-O-V-O, communities.org. Um, Andy, let's um, let's pivot back to the church. What does it mean to authentically be the church in the face of the epidemic of addiction today? So it's it's a great question and it's a challenging question um, because because as the church, there's so much that, that that we have on our plates and that we're concerned about. But my encouragement would be that we first of all recognize that this is a central feature of of our context not just outside of our church, but actually inside the church. Um, addictions, addictions real, and it's it's right there I- inside our walls. So I think the first thing is really a mindset shift that says, hey, this can't be a side hustle anymore. This needs to be a, a key way we think about our world and how we interact with things. When we talk about, when I talk about um, recovery, I often talk about uh, the difference between two superheroes. So Batman does what Batman does because he's got the tools for the job and he's in, he's developed a set of skills that enable him to do what he does. Spider-Man does what Spider-Man does because he was bitten. Peter Parker was bitten by this toxic spider that changed him from the inside out. And so what he does is as a result of this inner transformation And I think particularly as we think about addiction and recovery from addiction and how we deal with all of this as the church, it's helpful to distinguish between those two things. And and actually what we do is we have have something to offer on both sides of that. So as the church, as as this community that is embracing, that is welcoming, that's supportive, um, as a a ministry, as as a church that's got the capacity to engage people with parallel ministries, whether those are counseling services, celebrate recovery meetings, um, debt counseling, there's a whole set of things that actually we can engage people with um, that actually really help in terms of recovery. And of course, specialists we can connect them with, teen challenge centers, rehab centers of all kinds. But actually, we have this incredible living hope um, in the gospel, in Christ, um, in this promise of a relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is all about that inner change, which is all about being remade on the inside so that it overflows to the outside. So as the church and as we think about addiction, we really need to come with both these things in mind um, and really drive deeper with one another into how we live in the age of addiction in which we find ourselves. Yeah, and I think, Andy, it it ultimately comes down to the question, do we want to be, and you ask this in the book, like, do we want to be a Rat Pack church? Do we want to be a Skid Row church? Like, you know, it's a lot to get to the Mm -hmm. place where the sort of average hey, everybody put themselves together and got here on Sunday morning, um, and we all know where to sit and how to sit and what to do and what not to do, and everybody's clean and relatively sober. Like, there's Mm. this vision and version of what it looks like to be the church, and what you are inviting us into looks very different, but is in reality more church, 
more Mm. really the church. And so I think that question is provocative and it's hard and it's honest and, um, and it's timely. And, and, and I'll be honest, it's genuine, you know, personally, I I wrestle with this, you know, and I think that's an important thing to acknowledge is is this question of, yeah, how do we, do we want to be this kind of church? And, and, and actually that's the start point. And that might that might lead to some interesting conversations. And I think it's really important to invite people with recovery experience into the heart of those conversations, because what we might do is we might find it's a benefit to all of us to to let go of some stuff, to, to drop a few plates in order that we can focus on some others and uh, and really to say, how do we re-engineer our life together so that we fit? Uh, the needs that are actually real and present in each of our lives, as well as those who are who are especially hurting and broken in addiction. Yeah, you might be surprised by the profit uh, you discover there. We've been talking with Andy Partington. The book is Hope in Addiction. Um, you can uh, you can sign up to uh, jump into the giveaway for the book. Just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Andy, what a delight to be with you today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. You guys can connect with Andy online and check out what's happening at novocommunities.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. So that conversation with Andy Partington um, got me thinking, like, what's got a grip on you or who has got a grip on you? We think of people being gripped in the throes of addiction and the challenges um, that that you face when you're gripped by something. But what or who has a grip on you today? Do you have a firm grip on God? I mean, God's got a firm grip on you and he's never going to let go. But do you got a firm, do you have a firm grip on God today? Are you still grasping? Are you still, are your hands so full, your heart so full, your mind so full, your relationships so full that, you know, you can, you can, you can grab onto the hand of Jesus, you know, for a skip along a particular part of the road or, um, or grasp for him when you're desperate. But do you have an ongoing firm grip on the Lord? I want to encourage you today to to get a grip like check your grip um spend some time considering the hands of the one who holds you consider the hands of the one um, who gave himself for you put your hand in the hand of the one who created all things and laid his hand out willingly upon a rough-hewn cross. Consider the hands that formed you. Consider the hands that are reaching to you now and get a grip. Get a grip. God is always extending himself and his love to you in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I encourage you to, to take him by the hand. There are these incredible prayers in the Old Testament about asking God to extend his righteous right hand. And we think about the hand of God being extended. It happens in scripture on lots of occasions for lots of reasons, but it happens ultimately and finally in the act of Christ upon the cross. Would you take his hand today? Would you get a grip? The things in this world that 
lay hold of us, that grip us, that grip our minds, that grip our hearts, that seek to distract us and hold our attention and keep us captive and keep us away from God, he can set you free today of all those things. Invite God to reach out his hand and take control of your life and get a grip on him. Hey friend, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you today and give you peace. Thanks for joining me on Mornings with Carmen. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.